Um, hello, that's exciting. So, as my lovely roadies are doing a job for me, which is lovely, um, most of you will know I am Tom, as introduced. Um, I've been coming to Hope Church since I was seven. Uh, it wasn't originally called Hope Church then. Had a bit of time away, and then moved back, met my now wife, and therefore stayed. Um, but I am talking to you today, which hopefully is going to be a pleasure and not a chore. Um, I changed very last minute what I was going to talk about, and I was very nervous about doing it, but I thought God told me to. Um, and then we had all the words this morning, and they were all about apathy, and my talk's on apathy. So that's good. Um, and uh, I'm going to... I'm going to read a bit of the Bible, and then I'll talk a little bit. Um, but I'm going to start with um, 1 Thessalonians 1. So feel free to read on the screen. Some of you are better at listening. Um, but it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators for us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So, the Thessalonians became an example to the Christian communities, uh, imitating Jesus Christ as best they could, and life wasn't easier for them than the other churches around, but they were still persecuted, mocked, and were finding it hard to go about their business before God, but it was the way that they were doing it that was esteemed. And I think that's a bit of a challenge for us, particularly for me. Um, the world around us isn't an easy one to be a church in, but that doesn't mean we can't do church well in that community. Um, so, if you were here last week, Jim talked on... Well, I, I labelled his talk, It Is Your Destiny. I'll be honest, I missed the beginning of his talk, uh, and I didn't take notes, and it wasn't online when I checked. So I've called it, It's Your Destiny. If you haven't listened to it yet, you should. Um, but it was there where the seeds of this talk were first put in my head, and then I went to the gym, which I don't do very often, um, and I was standing there in my towel, as you do. I thought I'd share that information because I know that Jane likes it when I'm inappropriate. <laughs> Uh, so I was standing in my town. I just had a really random song come into my head. And you know this, well, I don't know who it did originally, but I think the Steps version tragedy. For some reason I had apathy. When the feeling's gone, so things go wrong, it's apathy. And I was like, what on earth am I doing? And then I had a bit of a moment, like, you know in The Matrix, if you've seen it, they plug a big wire into the back of Neo's head and they just download loads of information. And he wakes up and kind of goes, I know Kung Fu. And I just had a moment where I was standing there and I was aware that loads of people were moving around me and I just felt like, oh, I'm getting something here. And I remember just kind of standing there going, do I pray in tongues? Do I just sit quietly? Do I start praying for people? I don't really know what to do. And I just felt God just say, no, I'm talking to you, just listen. And I think sometimes there's a desire to feel like, oh, I have to, I have to act straight away. And actually, sometimes it's good to mull on things. Um, so 
originally, I was going to talk to you about Genesis, um, but I'm not. But because I was going to talk to you about Genesis, I'll start in a garden. So there's going to be a garden theme that we're going to go through throughout. Um, I am not much of a gardener. Uh, I'm not naturally green-fingered, but I have come to love our garden, especially since having children and lockdown. Um, but I'm a big fan of the plants that I like to call leave my loans and they grow them. Uh, still alive, even though I've barely touched them. And surprised that's not dead yet. Because I've inherited a great skill from my mum of killing things that are green. Um, but we were, however, given a rose many years ago um, by Meg's uncle uh, called a joy rose. Uh, and the significance and timing of that rose probably won't be lost on a lot of you that know our story because of time. I won't go into it right now. Um, but I'm quite protective of that rose for various, very obvious reasons to me. Um, but looking after it is a right pain. Uh, it, it's really hard work. Uh, it gets more diseases than my other plants. It gets eaten. It stabs me when I try to look after it with its self-defense mechanisms. It gets tangled up in toxic relationships with weeds that it seems to really like. But I'm like, no, that's not good for you. But it's like, no, but I like it. And it sticks it with thorns. Um, and then often physically, I have to keep going back to it. And even when it does finally produce the most beautiful bloom, it then fades. And I have to go back and cut that bit off. I want to see some more. Otherwise, it just stays there rotting. And if I want to get the best out of that plant, I have to tend to it, even though it costs me time. And sometimes it costs me blood and sweat and tears sometimes. Um, I, um, I think the analogy there isn't hard to spot. Because um, when we take the time to cultivate something, it is far more beautiful than if we just leave it alone. And growth happens when we take the time to cultivate, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of awkwardness, even in the midst of, I've got things that I feel might be better that I want to do. Sometimes it's a choice to go, right, time to put the gloves on and tackle the thorns. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going with the talk today. Um, it's really obvious now that I've started to make that more of a habit, still not as much of a habit as I like. My plants in my garden now all grow better. That one flower, because I was attached to it, because it had meaning to me, I now see more meaning in all the other plants, and now I'm starting to get into it a bit more. Now I care about what grows. Now I care about what's surrounding it. I care about animals that never used to bother me, like slugs and snails, and now become my worst enemies. And you know, I, I definitely don't remonstrate with my father-in-law when he encourages my children to kill them, even though I feel there's part of me that should be like, eh. Whereas now worms, I'm like, worms, you beautiful creatures, come into my garden. Um, and you find yourself doing strange things when you're in your mid-30s. So the point is, since I've started doing those things and maybe looking a bit of a fool, and when my mum goes, what did you want for your birthday? And I said, oh, can I have some pipes so I can make some stuff to compost? And then she was like, you're strange. But I got passionate about it. I wanted to do the best that I could with it, and therefore I changed where I was focusing my attention and my time. And as a result, my garden now looks much more beautiful. It's much more friendly. It's much more welcoming. It's somewhere I can rest and relax and I can enjoy. And it's also a place of enjoyment for others. So I can find all sorts of excuses and allow myself to be distracted, sorry, distracted with other good things. Slow down, Tom. But if I'm expecting someone else to do what is my responsibility, I can't be surprised if nothing happens or if things develop differently to how I wanted. We, me, and I know other people in this room are very good at spotting other people not doing their stuff and seeing an issue and a gap, but we're not always so keen to realize when we're not doing what we should be doing too. And as a church, we've got a calling to play our part. It's not the role of people up front. It's not the role of people at back. It's not the role of people downstairs. We are all in this together, and we've all got a part to play. 
And if we all play that part, we can't be surprised when growth happens, when refuge happens, when healing happens, when joy happens, when lives are changed. But if we don't do our bit, someone else is missing out. So to illustrate that, I might skip what I was about to say and get something else. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Jim talked yesterday, not yesterday, last week, um, about God works his, his things through by him and with us. There's a call on us both to do it. And he was talking about the healthy tension. And uh, as he was talking about that, I was, remem- I was reminded of something. And I think it's sometimes really interesting to remember how you see yourself isn't how others see you. People who've known me since I was four know me a certain way. People who've only known me since they've come into this church a few weeks ago will see me a different way. And there's parts and transitions in your life that people won't know the struggles you've been through. That doesn't mean they're not valid, but actually it also isn't necessarily relevant to them. It's relevant to you. And you need to make sure that you are doing all that you can in your walk to cultivate where God's got your destiny. And so when I was about 14, 15, a guy who some of you know called Julian Adams came to our church and he prophesied over me about leading worship. And I was like, yeah. Woohoo! It was great. It was amazing. But nothing happened. And I remember sitting in a room with, I think Lee, it might have been Joel as well, um, with Jim, and just talking about stuff that God had said over us as, as young teenage boys slash men. And I'm going, yeah, I really feel like that prophecy that I had about a year or what so ago was like. And so Jim went, well, what are you going to do about it? And it was just that, oh yeah, I have to do something. How am I going to lead people if I don't... At that time, I couldn't sing in front of anyone. It scared me to death. And I didn't play an instrument. I, I was in a band where I imitated somebody else's voice and basically spoke. But I would not sing with my own actual voice because I didn't want people to hear how I sounded. Most of you know I come from a performing arts background. I used to not refuse to do the musicals in school, but then my teacher basically said, you're allowed to do it if you mime. You're allowed to mime. I wouldn't be in them because I didn't want people to hear me sing. I think probably because I used to have a nice voice and then my voice broke and then you get all teenagery. But actually, I then ended up being on a course, completely what I would call coincidence, where I had to sing in front of all my friends, otherwise I would fail. And that was hard. I actually cried the first time I had to sing in front of people which I find really funny when I think about it, because people go, yeah, but you stand at the front and you lead people in worship and you play a guitar. Tell me that as a 14-year-old. I wouldn't have believed you. And actually, if I hadn't have taken those steps and felt uncomfortable and gone out and cultivated that gift that I felt God had in me, even at my own expense of feeling silly, feeling like people might judge me, feeling that people might not want to be my friend anymore, then actually I'm robbing you guys of the gift that God had for you to share with you. That's not to say, I'm an amazing worship leader, yay. But I know for a fact that our gifting, when we share it with the church, helps uplift people and bring people into the presence of God. And that's something that God had for me. And I could have gone, yeah, great prophecy. And nothing would have changed. God can speak to us, but we have to act upon God's word. And God speaks to us all the time in the Bible. So if you want to hear what God's saying to you, and you're not sure, read the Bible. It's a really good place to start. So, gone off a tangent, as I'm about to do, because I am my father's son. Right. Um, I really like music. Now that I'm a dad, I have less time to listen to music, so I tend to do nostalgia. I tend to listen to all the songs I used to listen to back when I was younger. And I've been loving listening to Newton Faulkner. Uh, I've seen him live a couple of times. Um, in fact, we went to see him, didn't we, Abby? Um, 
And he does a version of Massive Attacks Teardrops. And whenever I read the Bible, I don't know why, recently in the last year or two, I always hear in my head, love, love is a verb, love is a doing word. And I think it's really important when you read your Bible to not see love always as a noun, but to see it as an action. It's not passive, it's active. We are called to love people. That doesn't mean to look up down the window at them and go, we love you, we're going to pray for you up here. That means we're going to go down and get in there and get stuck in. That sometimes costs us and it's awkward. But it's okay, I'm going to be awkward. As Jane will tell you, I like to make her feel inappropriate. Okay, so don't be surprised, though, that when you do those things, things happen. And then when you don't do anything, things don't change. Because the kingdom isn't actually about things, it's about people. And we want to see people changed. So, as most of you know, I currently work as a teacher in a primary school. I'll be honest, I'm kind of trying to get out. Um, but like all teachers, uh, I have my cliche overused phrases. Um, so, you know the type. Um, but one of the ones I realize I keep saying to my kids over and over again is, be a shepherd, not a sheep. Um, so whenever they say, but he told me to do that, or she said I should, or... Be a shepherd, not a sheep. Your actions need to be because you know it's the right thing to do, not because someone around you has influenced you to not be who you're called to be. Actually, being in the church now is really hard because you've got to go against the tide. So you've got to know how to lead the sheep rather than just follow. So as I was typing this out, I realized it went a bit weird. I'll, I'll explain why. This may sound a bit pretentious, but I think it's important to preach with your personality. So... One of them is be a shepherd, not a sheep. But he told me, she said, I should. Sorry, teach. In an age of influences and endless scrolling, digital reach and love-hate speech, it's not a time to follow the crowd, but stand up on the gospel loud and proud. To do what's right, to lead people to the living water, not be led like lambs into the slaughter. To leave the 99 to fetch the one, rather than sit there grazing on a hill under the sun. But under the sun, who came to die, who teaches turn the cheek rather than an eye for an eye. So when you see a bear, wolf, or lion to get a sister or a brother, it's your job to defend that sheep, not to duck and take cover. Being a shepherd isn't easy. The sheep won't say congratulations. It's dirty and noisy doing the Lord's work in and amongst the nations. Wherever you're called to be, living the kingdom, your life is testimony. But testament to what? And to how do you witness? By what will you be measured? If we saw your thoughts, your works, your words, your deeds, how much would it be treasured? Don't get me wrong, we certainly live by grace. But if I have no action to my love, is it love in the first place? If I say I love my wife, yet make no time to communicate, sure I can wear a ring, but my actions do not venerate. They degenerate and show I allocate hollow words. And Jesus detests and is unimpressed by our hypocritical herds. So if you want something to happen here in our church and our nation, then you might have to do something and take some inspiration. I was just typing. Um, <laughs> step one, read the word and pray and pray and pray. If you're not sure how to break out of the cycle of apathy, I have to confess this is something I was feeling. Post-COVID, moving to a new building, friends being at 11.15, me being here, I was a bit like, I didn't realize at the time, but I was just a bit meh. I didn't feel invested. I felt like what I knew had been gone. And actually, there's a grieving process that I think some of us are still going through. Some of us have dealt with it, and that's what happens with grief. Some of us can move through things differently. But actually, love is a verb, and to do, you've got to make a choice. Sometimes you've got to go, I really don't feel like it, like Colin was saying. I really don't feel like going to the Monday night thing. I'm really tired. Work's been stressful. It's tough. But I'm going to go. Because when I go, I bring something for other people. And if I'm not there, they miss out on my, my being there and my presence that I bring. 
And likewise, I miss out on something that somebody else might have said. What if I never went to that meeting where Julian Adams said, you're going to lead worship. I would never, ever have started a journey where I'm here now doing these sorts of things. It can seem like really small things, but when we listen to God, they become big things because God cares about the small things. God cares about us. And we can often think, yeah, but it's not about me. It's about that guy with the really good gifting over there. No. You're called to be a mum well. You're called to be unemployed well. You're called to be retired well. You're called to be married well. You're called to be single well. You're called to be professional well. You're called to be whoever you are well, the best that you can to give glory to God. That is your worship. It's not about the songs, but the songs help. That's for us together. But that doesn't happen if we're not in that right place. And sometimes you might come, this isn't in my notes, but sorry, I'm going to say it. But sometimes we come and we go, right, I need a few songs to warm up and get into the presence of God. The presence of God should be with you already. He's in you. Yes. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you ask for the Spirit, it's in you. Yeah. That means you're carrying God with you. you don't ha- it's not like a switch where you turn it on. Actually, sometimes it's just we're out of tune. Um, yeah, go for it. The worship's for him anyway. The worship's for him, yeah. Precisely. And actually, you know, I had a little joke coming with Isaac. Went to like, the PA and was like, oh, now I can get into the worship. And it's, sometimes our language doesn't help exactly. us. Sometimes our language doesn't help us. That was worship. What Seb's doing right now is just as much worship as me when I'm on a guitar. The person doing kids' work downstairs is just as much worship as me rarely cleaning the toilet. (laughs) The point is, whatever we are doing, we are doing it for the glory of God, and that is our worship. Sorry, went off on a tangent. Anyway, I'm going to retell a story that isn't my story, and I don't normally say doing this, but I, um, I heard this, and it made me just go, wow. But I also, when I was in that gym, in that moment of being in my towel, I just felt God go, that story. Um, so, I didn't go to New Day this year. I'm very sorry, but lots of our lovely people did. Um, and please keep praying for our teenagers. I'm kind of going to use an analogy of teenagers in a moment, but really because we can identify with teenagers and the past a bit better than we can with ourselves is still relevant. But this is a story that Andy McCulloch, who most of us will know, um, told. So, he was explaining that more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus in the last 25 years than in the previous history of Islam. And um, that's really important for us to realize because we have a vested interest in that. I'm not going to name their names just in case it's not the right thing to do. But we've recently sent some people over to an Islamic nation to go and make disciples. And actually, we need to keep praying for them. Just because they're not here doesn't mean they're not here. They're still part of our church. They're still part of God's call on the kingdom. So he tells the story of a lady in her 70s called Izmira. And he was saying how they went to her house in a very unreached part of the world. So she explained that she came to her faith on her own 40 years previously when she'd been given a Bible. She read the Bible and believed what it said and gave her life to Jesus. And for 40 years, she had no contact with other Christians. So she wasn't part of a church because there wasn't a church. There was no other believers. And also it was so remote, there was no internet. So all she knew was what she read in the Bible. And she read the Bible and she said, I'm going to do what it says. And the Bible says you should go around from village to village, talking to them about Jesus, healing the sick and raising the dead. So that's what she did for 40 years. But no one had told her not to. No one had made her feel awkward about doing it. No one had told her that if you do that, it might not happen. You might feel a bit silly and your friends might go, ooh. She just read the Bible and believed what it said and acted upon it. And I think sometimes we let our Western lenses get in the way of God's kingdom lens. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be bound in kingdom culture than bound in Western culture, because Western culture right now, I'm already struggling to see how my boys are going to survive and thrive in that, but that's my job as a parent. But 
The Bible says she'd go around, so she did, and she'd often go to a village, pray for the sick, raise the dead, leave a few Bibles with them, and pop back a few years later or a few months later and see how they were doing. And she did that for about 40 years, and obviously she'd go back, and then there'd be a church. So she, you know, she just did that faithfully. But then she told a story where she went to a village that she'd never been to before, and when she got to the village, some women came out to her and said, we've heard you pray for the sick people. Will you please come and pray for our young man? And she said, what's wrong with your young man? And he said, well, he had a stroke two years ago, and he's been paralyzed in bed ever since. He can't move, and even worse, his tongue is paralyzed, so he can't speak either. So the young man had been paralyzed in bed, unable to speak for two years, and they said, will you come pray with me? Also, pray for him. And I, at that moment, were gone, um, yeah. And I don't think I'd have been filled with that much faith, but because she was doing it, she was seeing the seeing that her faith was being rewarded. And I think sometimes we forget that actually we have to step out to see the evidence of what we've done. I have to plant a seed if I want to see it grow. If I stand still and don't plant it, nothing's going to happen to it. I think we forget that faith, again, is something that we have to do and not just hold. And I think sometimes it can be quite precious with our faith rather than using our faith. Again, sorry. So, um, So she walked into the room saw the young man and said, Lord Jesus, please do something amazing here, and then walked out. And the ladies in the room were very confused. They thought something, you know, there might have been a bit more, maybe some, you know, long words, some songs, some smell. But literally just walked in, said, do something amazing here, and walked out. And uh, she said, that's it. I prayed. Let's see what God does. So she came back about a month later, and the women came running up to meet her, and they said, come see the young man you've healed. Come see him. So... She sits down with him, uh, has a drink, and she asks him to tell the story. So he says, I was lying in my bed, unable to move, unable to talk. You came into my room and said, Lord Jesus, do something amazing here, and then you walked out the door. And straight away, as you walked out the door, two men came in dressed in white, who I'd never seen before, and they were kind of shiny. They came into my room, and one sat at the foot of my bed, and one sat at the head of my bed, and they started to have an argument with each other about me. The one at the head of my bed said that God had decreed that I should be healed and should serve him, but the one at the foot of my bed was saying, no, you're a sinner and you deserve to die. They were having an argument about me, and whilst I was lying there thinking, I quite like what he's saying, but I don't like what he's saying. And then the guy at the head of the bed got up and said in an authoritative voice, the Lord has decreed that you should be healed, and then walked off in a bit of a strop. And then the one at the foot of the bed got up visibly upset and said, yeah, we'll see about that, and also left the room. At that moment the man felt a tingling in his body and realized he needed a wee. So he jumped out of bed and went to the bathroom to do his wee, and his family heard him, and they shouted, what are you doing? And he said, I'm having a wee. And they said, you can talk, you've been healed. And then after telling her the story, she said that she sat him down and said, God's healed you because he wants you to serve him. God normally does something because he wants something else to happen afterwards. One of the reasons I'm finding teaching hard is because when I complete a task, there's another one to do. Okay, and that's not a bad thing. That's a sign that something is living and organic. And actually, if we do something and then leave it, it's not going to grow. Um, so she says, I'm giving you a Bible. I want you to read it every day, and I want you to pray, and just tell people what God's done for you. That's all you need to do. And he said, yes. And so for the next year, she went around every month to check on him. Are you praying? Yes. Are you reading your Bible? Yes. Are you telling people about Jesus and what he's done for you? Yes. Good. Carry on then. So again and again, month after month, she did this. And then she went back after a year and saw him not looking very good, lying on the sofa, watching TV and eating snacks. She said, you don't look good. Are you praying? No. Are you reading your Bible? No. Are you telling people about Jesus and what he's done for you? No. Well, then, from this day, I'm not responsible for what happens in your life. And she walked out of the room, and a month later, she heard that he was dead. 
Now, when I first heard that story, like you, I was like, yeah, he got healed. And then, wow. God's quite firm in his Bible about what happens when we don't use the gifts that he's given us and we don't do what he's called us to be. And I felt a bit bad bringing this because I'm not really a normally a rebuky kind of person. And I don't think, I think we need to take this. Do not forget about grace. Grace is so important. But grace should require us to have action. My relationship with my wife cannot work if I just get a ring and have a wedding day and then don't see her and don't talk to her again. Don't listen to what she needs. Don't try and change to try and make our lives work together. Have that conversation. Have that dialogue. But sometimes that's how we treat our relationship with God. On a Sunday, we have that relationship. But when we go into our workplace, we're not thinking about the commitment that we made and how we therefore have those conversations and how we therefore prioritise going out into the nations and opening up the kingdom to other people. Again, tangents. Um, so, I think it's really interesting being on the youth team um, that people always go, it's really good what you're doing for the teenagers, blah, 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 blah. Being a teenager is really hard, blah, 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 blah. It is. Being at school and everyone else is wanting to do this, blah, 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 and you have to act differently, it's hard. That doesn't change when you're an adult. Sometimes we see that in our teenagers, but we don't see that in our own lives, and it's really important to be aware of that. One of the reasons I did well as a teenager, as a Christian, is because I was aware of it. And I think we're really good at equipping people coming up, but we're not always good at keeping on equipping ourselves. And part of the way we do that is being accountable to one another. Are you reading your Bible? Yes. Are you praying? Yes. Are you going and telling people about what Jesus has done for you? Yes. That answer for me isn't always yes. And that's okay. God still loves me. But do I want it to be yes? Yes. So I therefore have to make some changes. I have to change how I spend my time. I have to change what I prioritize. I have to change how much time I scroll. There's lots of things that aren't bad things in and of themselves. When they get in the way of God's plan for you, then they become a thing that we need to get rid of. Yeah. Um, moving on. So, where are we at? Oh, look at the time. Skip, 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 skip. Right, quick one and I'll finish. Sorry. So, Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say this really quickly. Why aren't the sick being healed? Are you earnestly praying for them? Why aren't more unchurched people walking through the door? Are you inviting them? Why isn't there a group like this or like that that serves this need that I've seen? Are you going to sort it out? Why are these people going hungry? Can you feed them? Why do I feel disconnected with God and my faith? Are you spending time seeking him? Are you being accountable with those around you? Be the church because the church is a body. Apparently my body is a temple, truth be told, after a few kids teaching as a profession. Lack of exercise in tandem with lots of other things. It looks more like St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, but I used to be quite fit and healthy, and I didn't realise what I had. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That is the joy of being young. But I remember people used to say to me, oh, I used to look that when I was your age, and I think, yeah, right. And I think, yeah, right. Because it's changed, okay? But if I want to lose this, it's not going to go away unless I do something about it. Unless I change my diet, what I'm putting into my body, because I quite like my donuts, if I don't find time to exercise then nothing's going to change. In fact, it's just going to carry on not doing what it should be doing. My body isn't performing how my body can perform. And if I want to get fit, I need to change my diet. Right, good. Uh, skip, 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 skip. Quick garden analogy and then we'll be done. So, 
I think the church comes on track from a lot of different places, but I want you to guard against apathy. That's the talk today. Um, so if I don't get off my chair and pull up the weeds, I can't be shocked when my plants start to get choked. If I don't add minerals to the ground, I can't be surprised that my plant growth isn't as fruitful as I'd hoped. If I don't scatter seed, I can't be surprised that no new fruit grows. If I'm not prepared to water daily when there's a scarcity of rain, I can't be surprised when things dry up. If I don't pick the fruit and use it when it's ripe, I can't be surprised that there's waste. If I try to pick something before it's ready, I can't be surprised that it might not taste right and might not sit well within my stomach. Sometimes you've got to break a sweat, turn the fork and loosen the soil. You've got to check your garden. Where does yours need work? Do you have some fences that need mending? Is there an infestation of unwanted guests that have made their home? A good garden shows growth and support of life. The birds come and rest in the branches. The children can play in safety. We can admire the beauty within it, and it becomes a place of refuge and beauty. So I'm just going to pray for us that whatever it is in your garden, because none of us are perfect, it might be, yeah, actually, I've not been making time for God. It might be, you know, in the staff room, I feel convicted to say something, but I never do. It might be, I feel like I should pray for people and I'm scared that I get it wrong. I just need a bit of boldness. It might be lots of things that I haven't said and I'm hoping that God's prompting that in your heart. And it might be, I'm great, life is good, I'm on fire for Jesus. In that case, share it with us, be a thermostat and show us how it's done. But if we're all working together under the grace of God to be and play our part in this church, the city will change. Lives will change People will become restored. We love what Jesus did for us. And it's our duty to share that with other people. I'm not scared of telling people about my wife because she's changed my life to make it better. There'll be lots. But sometimes we are with God. Cool. Um, I'm going to pray. Sorry, I missed quite a lot of bits. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help me, if not anybody else. But, Lord, I pray that me waffling on hasn't just been random noise and lord i pray anything that's detracted from your gospel and detracted from your grace let it fall by the way so like that is the first thing we need to put eyes on and what you did for us and lord thank you that this all springs out of you making a way for us lord thank you that you have paved the way lord thank you that you did everything that i need to do and even if i don't respond to this message i'm still entitled to sit with you talk to you be your son and to love you and be loved by you but lord thank you that because of that relationship because of the love that you've shown me, I want to love the people you've called me to love. And Lord, I just pray that you'd equip me and you'd equip this church to be on fire for you. To not be passive, but to be active. To each play our part, to each be those stones in the wall that build on strong foundations of your love, of your grace, of your mercy. And just help us as we go out from today.